Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research into practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Welcome. This is episode seven of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I am super glad to have you along for the ride. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Margaret Vaughn on adaptations during literacy instruction. I walked away from this interview with so much to think about on how I do adaptations in my classroom. But before we get to the interview, I want to thank you all for joining us, whether it's the first time you've listened to the Teaching Literacy Podcast or whether you've been with us through seven episodes now. I'm grateful that people are finding value in what we're producing, and we do have a few new uh, reviews on iTunes, both were five stars, and then also a few new subscribers on YouTube, so it's great that the news is getting out and people are enjoying what we're doing. I'm, I'm very grateful for all of you that are listening. So let's get on to the main event. Dr. Margaret Vaughn is an associate professor at the University of Idaho. She specializes in adaptive teaching, teacher visioning, and issues of agency, she also curates the Guided Reading Library at University of Idaho, something we talk about in the show, and there's also a link to it in the show notes. So enjoy the conversation and stick around after for my two cents on adaptive teaching. To the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you are at the University of Idaho in Moscow, and you coordinate the Guided Reading Library there. Tell us about what that is and the aims of that project. So that is a a really exciting project that I started in my children's literature class, where my students learn all about um, expository text, and then they create their own uh, e-books for it. So it's a free digital resource. We have now about over 100 books that have audio as well. So teachers can just kind of click on it, search by their grade level, search by a topic, and they can read a book. And, you know, it's really privileged for the Common Core. That was part of my assignment. We're in a state that um, has adopted the Common Core. So it was really kind of a hands-on way for my students to gain knowledge of how to how to create authentic instruction using the Common Core, but not to let it limit you. And so um, students pick their own texts or pick their own ideas for a book that they want to write. And then they learn the steps on how to publish and write. And so it's pretty exciting. And it's really a credit to, to our library, um, the University of Idaho Library, um, who uh, Devin is uh, the, the librarian there that works to kind of help move everything online. So he's just been a fantastic collaborator. And also, if you want to participate, like if you want to have your students write something, elementary students or even middle school or secondary students, they can, we can work together and they can have it published as well. So there's a few, there's one student um, collection by students. And so um, that's just kind of also an invitation for uh, for anyone that if you're writing, you know, expository and you want your students to um, have an authentic avenue to publish, just email me and it's, we can kind of get it up on the website as well. So they can be looking on the University of Idaho library uh, database in the library and search for, let's say, Eric Carl, and something would come up and they could also then search for their name and something would come up, which I think is super cool. It really builds kids identity as writers. 
Yeah, and and I have an I have to, I have a platform to make it authentic. Yeah, it's my brain thinking. I wonder if I want another project. Can we can I can help? Yeah, you. That's, that's excellent. <laughs> Uh, so today we're talking about adaptive teaching during reading instruction. You did a multi-case study that was published this year in the Journal of Reading Psychology. Uh, tell us how you became interested in adaptive teaching. Well, it really did. It really stems back to my uh, mentor, Jerry Duffy. And so when I was at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, um, he was my mentor and he's the one that really started the whole research agenda on adaptive teaching. Um, really, I think it's his work before that was on, you know, professional decision making and, you know, he's just a fantastic scholar and researcher and, and anything you can read by him, I would highly suggest. Um, and so he's the one that started a group of us actually who are doctoral students on the path of adaptive teaching. So that's been exciting. What is adaptive teaching and why does it matter? Yeah, so you remember when you're teaching. It's hard. It's, you know, I think I always relate everything back to when I was a classroom teacher. So you remember when you're teaching and, you know, you have this awesome lesson plan and something, you know, and you're like, this is going to be great. And then something will occur where it's really just not about your lesson plan anymore, but it's about what happens during your instruction when students offer their ideas or they take it in a different direction. And you're like, gosh, that's so much better than what I had planned. <laughs> But something almost magical, I think, happens where teachers and the students are kind of working together, they're collaborating together. And so I think it matters because to me, that's part of the art of teaching. I think that's kind of why I went into teaching to start with is how do you build kids excitement about learning and, and reading and kind of getting them engaged in the curriculum and um, the technical definition, I would say about adaptive teaching. It occurs when teachers make in the moment adaptations to support kids needs, right? Their individual interests or their needs. Um, but I, I think it's, um, I think what matters is because I think that that's just kind of the heart of good teaching and effective teaching and the research supports that too. So speaking of the research, what does previous research tell us about adaptive teaching? Um, well, previous research suggests that teachers often engage, especially effective literacy teachers engage in adaptive teaching when they're, when they're teaching reading. And so the research and the literature supports it. Um, we have a recent article, I believe it was last year, in the Review of Educational Research that has a whole litany of a whole um, systematic review of the research on adaptive teaching, if people are interested in that. And that's with my colleague Seth Parsons, who's also a fierce um, researcher on adaptability as well. So he's a fantastic uh, resource as well, and um, some other colleagues in that, in that as well. Excellent. So let's dive into the study. Tell us about the setting and the participants that you investigated to learn more about adaptive teaching. So um, for this study, there were six teachers. And so I have my notes here. I'm just going to help read from that. So there was a uh, school A had was a K-5 school, had Title I public school. School B was Title I public school. And then school C was also a Title I, but it was public charter elementary school. And so one was in one state and the two were in um, the same state. And this was mainly a qualitative study, meaning that you were um, interviewing and doing observations. Tell us about what those looked like and how you used those to try to capture adaptive teaching in action. Yeah. So when when we do adaptive teaching research, when when I do have adaptive teaching research, I ask for the teachers to provide their lesson plan. And so really, what you do is it's 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 not super glamorous, but you just sit in the classroom and you take extensive field notes. And so by field notes, it's like you're just writing down everything that you're seeing. So 
you're you know you're transcribing what the teachers are saying um, what the teacher is saying what the students are saying and how the interaction is happening um, and so you have collected those over the um, 12 observations per teacher and then I go back and I code those as well but in addition to that there was a pre-study pre interview which just sort of gained information about kind of the information about the teacher the demographics um, how many years of teaching, what's their vision for teaching, and then that was also done at the end. And then after every observation, I also did a post-lesson interview that said, hey, can you tell me about what you did during your lesson? Um, I saw you do this, was that, can you talk to me a little bit about why you did that? And so that was to kind of gauge their rationale for what they were doing and trying to get at their thinking. So what did you find? How often were adaptations happening in these classrooms? Well, it, they actually happen pretty frequently. Um, and so uh, I can refer to the table as well. But so, for example, for one of the teachers throughout the 12 observations, there was a total of 35 observations across, right? Another one was 34. So 34 and 35 were sort of the consistent numbers. And then there was one that was at a, a nine who only adapted nine times. And so that case was Sammy and Sammy was super interesting because she was in a different state. So she was at the school in a different state. And the other interesting fact is that she was a um, national board certified teacher. She was reading, um, she was a reading specialist. I mean, she was super well advanced in terms of her knowledge and her pedagogy on reading and literacy instruction. Um, but she also was one that really stuck strictly to the um, curriculum manual. So it was pretty fascinating that although she had so much experience and sort of um, knowledge, she was one that kind of stuck exactly to what she had to do in terms, and she very, very rarely adapted her instruction. Even though I think during there, there were many opportunities where I think she could have, she, she chose to stick exactly to what the script had said. I thought that was very interesting also in the article that perhaps the teacher that had the most capability to uh, adapt did it the least and not to throw that teacher under the bus because that yeah. teacher was probably just doing the best that they could and, and was meeting the, the needs of their students within their parameters. But why do you why do you think that there was such variation across teachers with some teachers adapting more and some teachers adapting less? Well, I you know, I, I, so I wrote this paper about two years ago and sort of, unfortunately, like with publishing, it takes quite a while to get it actually published. So when I went back and I revisited it, you know, just as a researcher and a learner, you're just always in such a different place. And especially now, like I'm actually in a classroom where I'm teaching, I'm teaching in a fourth grade classroom and it's during reading instruction. And, and I, you know, it's so easy to be on the other side and just sort of observe teachers and you know, but when you have to do it, I think it's completely different. So I think you're right. I don't want to throw Sammy under the bus about this, but I think some of it has to do with context. I think also it has to do with one's vision. I think, you know, if you're in a situation where you're going to be marked up or docked up or written up, rather, if you're, you know, if you're not following along with the pacing guide, if you're not following along with your other fourth grade teacher, what your other second grade teacher is supposed to do, I think the stakes are pretty high. And I think um, I think it's a school culture thing. I think it's also an individual vision thing. I think if, if you have a vision and you're not able to kind of figure out how to navigate that vision or you're concerned that, you know, if you do, there might be super, you know, the different kinds of consequences, I think, I think it's, I think that's kind of a dimension that really plays in part 
as to how, why some teachers are able to adapt and some are not able to adapt. Is part of that the um, high stakes environment that we have that's yeah. seen emerge in the last decade or so? Yeah, and I think that that has just played such a huge part in into why um, some teachers do. And I think it, I think it just, I think it has to do a lot with one's vision. I think if you're, if you have a vision where you want to motivate kids, I think it's, and you follow that, you know, if you're, if that's what drives you as a classroom teacher, and then you see this curriculum that says that you have to have all students reading the same text, right? And you're thinking like, that's not motivating, you know? And I think that that can, um, conflict with you, right? That, that presents an opportunity where you have to make some choices. Um, and so, you know, you have to make that decision. Is it worth it? You know, every time, you know, you have to, to take a risk. And, and I think it, I think it's hard for teachers sometimes to be able to do that. And there's so many different reasons, but I think the interesting thing with Sammy is that one of the conversations, and I'm actually not sure if it's in the piece, but I distinctly remember this. She said, you know, people paid for this curriculum. You know, I feel like I have to teach this curriculum. This is something that the district bought. Like, I think I need to follow it exactly how it says, and I, I need to see if this works with my kids. And so I think that it's not just kind of whether or not it's just also a personal choice. I think it's also, you know, there's this moral conviction that people have to say, you know, well, this is research, you know, and research says this, and I'm supposed to be doing this because research is something I'm supposed to do. And so I think there's that pressure as well. So we know that variations, the frequency of variations, uh, or sorry, we know that the frequency of adaptations varied across teacher. Were the types of adaptations different? Were they doing different types? Yeah, so the one thing I, I wanted to do, so I've written on adaptive teaching for like the last several years. And so with this piece, what I really wanted to do is to get smarter about, okay, what actually happens during literacy instruction, during reading instruction, right? And so what I did instead of just reporting what types of adaptations were, what I tried to really think about is what were the most common ones during reading instruction and what can that tell us about how to mess, maybe mess you necessarily like teach teachers or work with pre-service teachers. Maybe if there's some adaptations that are more consistent, then maybe those are the types of adaptations that I can use in my pre-service teaching class, right? Where I say, hey, one of the things you might want to try to do often is model a skill or insert a mini lesson if kids aren't understanding, right? And so those were two, um, those were two of the, the adaptations that were really frequent were modeling a skill and inserting a mini lesson. Um, those were the highest recorded adaptations that were those were 71 across the observations a total. Right? So I think that, you know, that can tell us a lot about professional development. It could tell us a lot about pre service teaching. Um, same with the rationales. I think the most common rationales that the participants used was um, uses knowledge of students to alter their instruction. So, right, that connects this idea that adaptive teachers know their students well. They can foresee, they can kind of plan ahead, they can think ahead, think on the spot in terms of how to support their students. They have to have that deep knowledge, right? And being able to see those needs and perceive them during the lesson yeah. and then meet them in that same lesson through a little bit of improvisation and exactly. using combining that pedagogy and content that you have in front of you, I think that's a really complex yeah. thing that's going on there. And I think it's super intuitive that you said improvisation because 
Keith Sawyer is someone that also talks about the act of teaching and sort of this improv experience. And I think that improvisation is such a key dimension of effective and adaptive teaching, right? You know, going by a script, going by exactly the curriculum, that's, there's not much improv there, right? You follow along, it kind of, if it fits for your students, great, you know, but more than likely, I always think about the third, there's a third of students who are well beyond that. There's a third of students who still don't get it. And there's a third in the middle that you might be reaching, right? But maybe it's just two of those kids, right? So it's that improv, it's kind of happens in the, in the moment. Uh, you've also done some work with principals and, and the agency that principals feel in administration. Can you give us a, a sneak peek yeah. into what so, you found in that? So, you know, coming from the classroom, I, I have to admit, like, I kind of always just sort of blame the principal. So sorry, principals out there that, you know, I just kind of always thought, well, they're in charge of the building, right? So they're the ones that are driving these decisions. So this kind of stemmed a recent project in the last year or two years where, um, a research group at Literacy Research Association, which is a great conference, we talked about, I brought up this notion that, you know, sometimes when I talk to teachers and I say, well, you know, like Sammy, you know, or other teachers that I've worked with, and I say, well, it's, you know, you you kind of get a sense that kids aren't really interested in what you're, what you're reading or what's kind of going on. Why do you, what's your, what's your, re, you know, what are you thinking as to why you continue with that? I'm just so curious, you know, and most of these teachers are my friends and they're like, well, Margaret, you know, they, they tell us we have to, right? We just have to. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, who is this they? You know, who is the they in that conversation? Is it the principal? Is it the grade level? Is it the district? Is it the state? Is it national policies? Like, what is, who is the they? And so um, we kind of, we, I led a research group on that to try to figure out who is, who are the they in that conversation? And so we interviewed nine principals across the U.S., different locations all around the country, and we asked a series of questions, and we wanted to get at this idea of, you know, who, how, do the, how are literacy curriculum decisions made? Um, and the interesting thing is they, I've come, I've come to realize that it's not really just the principal, right? Principals also don't have much agency most of the time. They're being led by either a curriculum person or maybe a superintendent or maybe there's even no direction and so they're sort of scrambling and they see that maybe this is supposed to be that research that evidence you know performed by research so this is sort of the sure thing and so you know it's so much more complex i think than than i used to think as a classroom teacher where i thought well it's my principal's fault that i'm having to do this and so i think it for me it was just sort of more of a cycle to kind of understand no, it's really, it goes beyond that. And it actually goes even beyond, I think, a state situation. I think because many times you have people in a state department that aren't necessarily aware of best practices, yet they're the ones that are leading the charge for some of these decisions that happen in your classroom. And so I think that was something that I found super interesting, but also a place to sort of insert myself as a, as a researcher and an advocate for teachers. So how can a teacher be more adaptive in their literacy instruction? Well, I think one of the things I would really recommend is to just develop first to just sit down and, and think about your vision, right? And so there's some research on visioning that I've done and some others have done. Um, but really a vision is just what it is that you want to accomplish with your teaching. Why are you doing it and what does it mean for students? And I think if you can kind of always center your instruction around that, then I think that that can guide you with adaptive teaching. And I think then just being that reflective practitioner, 
and noticing those moments during instruction where you know kids are offering ideas and they're making suggestions and they're they're inserting something into what you are doing that isn't necessarily um, maybe what we think is um, following along with our script or our plan or our program or our lesson but those are those powerful moments I think that we need to build on and use all of our creativity to say you know what like that connects to this text or you know what this is a great opportunity to insert this mini lesson on how to use dialogue when we're writing or how do you you know how do you access you know I don't know some of the different different ideas very interesting uh, last question for you what makes a good teacher um, well I'll definitely like defer to the 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 good teachers out there because I think the farther I'm away from practicing in the classroom I think the harder it is I think for me honestly to answer that question because I think I think classroom teachers know more about good teaching to be just really honest um, but in my in my in my opinion and also then in my personal experience as a classroom teacher but then also as a researcher I think one of the things that I've been really intrigued by lately is um, the ethic of care so Nell Noddings talks a lot about this idea of having a, a center where you there's this relationship building there's this care that you develop with your students and I think I think the more that I'm watching teachers and I'm observing teachers and I'm working alongside of them I think for me what I've noticed what really marks a good teacher is of course having knowledge of pedagogy right having knowledge of content having knowledge of best practice and, and all of those litanies of knowledges that we, we know are important for teaching but also having an ethic of care I think for me what I've come to figure out between seeing many teachers and also just kind of in my own reflection of myself as a teacher is that I think the ethic of care is something most important it's just one of the most important things that we need as teachers and for me that's what is a mark of a good teacher I think you can learn content you can learn knowledge and but I think at the core you really have to have an ethic of care for students that that drives you I think that that's um, to me that's kind of one of the things I think is, is really a connection to good teaching uh, Dr. Margaret Vaughn, thanks for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Great conversation with Dr. Vaughn. I found so much of it to be very interesting. I'm really grateful for her joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. So here's my two cents on adaptive teaching in the literacy classroom. My first thought is on how adaptive teaching is different than differentiation. So for example, adaptive teaching can be differentiation, but differentiation doesn't necessarily have to be adaptation. So let me explain that. So with, with differentiation, before a lesson, I could take a look at whatever my learning outcomes for the lesson are, and I could say, looking at my students, I know that some students are ready for enrichment, and I can provide a way to help them extend what we're learning in the lesson. And I can look and say, other students, they're going to need a little bit more support. So how can I support my students in reading this complex text and being able to construct meaning from it? And that differentiation can happen before a lesson, uh, but it can also happen during the lesson where you realize that some students aren't quite getting it, and so you make an adaptation to differentiate the lesson to either 
you know, give them more support or enrich, uh, of things of that nature. So an adaptation can be differentiation, but differentiation doesn't necessarily have to be an adaptation. And that's an interesting thought to me because we spend a lot of time thinking about differentiation in the literacy classroom, and rightfully so. I don't want to undermine that at all, but I don't hear as much conversation about how we change to learners' needs in the moment, how we make those adaptations. Dr. Vaughn stated, it was about four minutes into the interview, that teachers that are able to make great adaptations, that's the heart of being a good teacher. And I completely agree. It's a complex thing, being able to simultaneously teach while you're doing classroom management, perceive the learning of your students, and then adapt in effective, efficient ways to support their learning. That is quite the feat. And the mark of a good literacy teacher is someone who can pull that off. And so I definitely want to continue the conversation around differentiation, but let's think more about how we make those adaptations in the moment to help support our students and how we know if those adaptations are truly supporting them and in their best interest. So I'm, I'm going to think about both of those a little bit more, but that's my first cent. That's my first big takeaway. The second big takeaway for me from this is there are a lot of factors influencing the adaptations teachers make in the classroom. I found it so interesting that the teacher who had the best, the most capability to adapt, she was board certified, she had plenty of literacy experience, that she was the one that actually made adaptations the least. And that certainly doesn't make her an ineffective teacher, I don't want to paint that at all, but it does present an interesting case study for us to think about for a minute. There are a ton of factors that influence the adaptations that we literacy teachers make. The environment that we're in, our school culture, um, with the expectations of how close we're expected to stay to our curriculum, our pedagogical knowledge, our content knowledge, uh, the expectations of our PLC team and of districts and states, and then uh, also the needs of our students. We can make a longer list, but the point is there's a lot of things that influence the adaptations that we make. So I don't think it's a case of more is better when we're talking about adaptations. If, if you take a look at two literacy teachers and say, oh, this uh, literacy teacher made 20 adaptations over three lessons and this teacher only made three, uh, that doesn't necessarily show that the one who made 20 is better than the one that made three. I think with teacher adaptations or adaptations during literacy instruction, we need to look at it as a better is better phenomenon. Adaptations are going to be the reality of any literacy teacher. So then the question then becomes, when we make those adaptations, when we perceive that we need to veer from the lesson content in order to meet the needs of students, how can we make those effective? And how can we, make, how can we know that the adaptation that we made was in the best interest of our students. And that takes classroom management, it takes formative assessment, it takes great sound pedagogical knowledge. Uh, so if we can make effective adaptations for our students, then we're going to help meet their needs in helping them become fantastic, literate young people. So that was a great interview. I left with so much to think about. Uh, thank you again for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. 
The next interview, I get a repeat with Dr. Vaughn again. We talk about another recent project she has been working on called the Student Agency Profile. So tune in for that one. You are not going to want to miss it. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better. <laughs>